Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the team at Project Health Monitoring. PHM provides digital solution for industry, sport, and education, allowing you to focus on well-being, performance, and academic engagement in real time. But more on that a little later in the episode. And welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Happy, happy, happy new year to everyone. I am so excited to be stepping out into 2023 with each of you. Don't forget that we have that free planning session today at 8.30 to set you up for your year. So it's not too late to book. So jump in the link in the show notes and join us to get crystal clear on what it is you want to achieve this year and how you will go about it. Today, I am talking to two awesome humans, Andy Gruley, who holds a degree in accounting and has been the chaplain for the Queensland Red Rugby Union side and the Brisbane Bullets, which is one of our national basketball teams. He also won Australian of the Year Local Hero in Queensland and is listed on the American AACSB Top 100 Influential Leaders and is the founder of what is known as Red Frogs, which actually won the Best Volunteer Support Service in Queensland in 2019. Andy is here with our second guest, Dave Cornett, and they have grown Red Frogs to what it is today. Dave and I, in the second half of the interview, go much deeper into safe partying for teenagers, how to have those difficult parenting conversations, and some pretty concrete tips that you can share with your teenager. I have not laughed this much in any of the episodes to date. These boys have set up what is known as Red Frogs Australia. The Red Frog program started in 1997 after seeing the desperate need for a chaplaincy service to safeguard teenagers at schoolies. They recognised that the culture of young people was dominated by alcohol and that excessive consumption of alcohol and other substances can lead to dangerous and life-altering behaviours. Therefore, Red Frogs is on a mission to provide a positive peer presence in alcohol-fueled environments where young people gather educate young people on safe partying behaviours and promote and provide non-alcoholic activities to engage young people in their environments. Red Frogs is now the largest support network in Australia for schoolies, festivals and university students, whilst also supporting sports and skateboarding events. Currently, Red Frog Chaplaincy Program coordinates 4,000 volunteers to run its programs and it has now gone international. The Froggers can be found in Canada, the UK, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and New Zealand. There's a few things for you to know about this interview. The boys are actually in the middle of schoolies when we record it, so they have both been out on the street all night helping young people, and we are lucky enough to get them both here at the one time in the same room. So you will notice that Andy has to leave halfway through the interview. And the second half of the interview is where Dave and I really dive deep into those parenting conversations. 
In this episode, I'm just giving a trigger warning. We do mention a car crash and also some drug use. Let me introduce you to two of my newly found favorite men in this world. I hope you laugh as much as I do. So I'd really love to introduce you today to Andy and Dave. Thank you, boys, for coming on. You're in the middle of schoolies week, which we'll understand the relevance of that a little later, but I really appreciate you carving out this time to come on and and have a chat with our audience. With pleasure. It's good to be here. And we've only got Andy for a short time today, so this interview is going to look a little different to how we normally do it. We're going to start with Andy and then we'll go to Dave and if Andy needs to duck off before the end, then we'll say a little goodbye to him and get going. Andy, I always love to start the podcast with a question. If you were to pick an animal that best describes you, what animal would it be and why? I've actually got two that come to mind straight away. First is the paddle pop lion because when I had my mullet back in the day, they they referred to me as the paddle pop lion and also the octopus when I play a lot of chess and I tend to slip out of games just when someone's going to beat me. I find a way to get out of it, stalemate or win. So I've got the octopus in chess and paddle pop lion with my old mullet. <laughs> I had to double take when you said the paddle pop lion. I was like, what did he just say? And then you're talking about paddle pops, the, like the ice cream, and there used to be the Correct. lion on the ad. Is that what you're talking about? Correct. 100% the uh, paddle pop lion, absolutely. Showing your age. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> And what about you, Dave? What animal would you say best describes you and what is it about that animal? Look, it's not just the species of animal I need to talk to you about. It's actually a particular animal of the species. I talked with my mother-in-law recently. She said I was like a dog that holds on to grabs onto something. I'm like, no, no, because the wife's like, no, he's nicer than that. And I went, <laughs> and then they thought I was a squirrel because of my ADHD. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not quite that. And I've worked out that I'm flipper. I am the flipper, the dolphin that comes and is normally playing, is normally having lots of fun, is normally looking out for people. But then when when there's a crisis on, flipper comes and flipper talks to you. And I think it's amazing how flipper gives so much detail. So flipper comes in, <laughs> and so that's what flipper does. And then the humans are like, what's that flipper? There's been a boat crash around the ridge three dead and two yeah, people injured and then they follow Flipper from that point and I feel like I'm, I'm Flipper. So I'm, everything's always fun, everything's always serious at the same time and, hey, look, if there's something to get done, let's get at it. Oh, and we're going to hear all about that in this interview today. So, Andy, maybe you can. we'll start with you. If you could just tell us a little bit about you and how Red Frogs kind of came about in the beginning. Yeah, well, for me, uh, I'm actually an accountant by background. I did a Bachelor of Business Accountancy at QUT and uh, worked seven years in accounting. Also grew up just through the state school system, uh, didn't go to private school at all. And uh, when I went to university, I didn't live on a resident college. I was a day boy at, uh, at uni. And then also been skateboarding 38 years. So I'm a downhill skater, love skating. I haven't really worked out how to stop yet, just love going fast downhill. <laughs> And I'm also a pastor now as well, a pastor at a church doing community outreach work and also the chaplain for the Queensland Reds Rugby Union and also for the Brisbane Bullets uh, basketball side. So a little bit of multi-personality there, sort of like a skateboarding pastoral accountant. Yeah, like the paddle pop line in the (laughs) – just gel them together. Correct, correct, Absolutely. And Andy, before we get into your challenge, we might jump over to Dave. Dave, do you just want to give us a little bit of a rundown about like where you've come from? Yeah, sure. So actually bumped into Andy at that the church that he's still one of the pastors of. I was there. I rocked up. 
post school to do a, a Bible college course. And then I started a teacher's bachelor of education course on the same property. And I'd come from the wrong side of the tracks, Foster High School, Pacific Palms, Mid-North Coast in New South Wales. And uh, I, I'd had myself in some pretty rough places until a girl invited me to church. And I went to church, not for the church. I went because of the girl and little thing called flirt to convert. So I had two <laughs> years of being in and out of this church world and going, mate, this is epic compared to where my life was going. And so, yeah, my mum was disabled. She had a massive car accident when I was five. And so being raised by a disabled mum and a dad who was pretty grumpy and angry and uh, all of that combined to me finding probably a lot of affirmation at the end of bottles and bongs as a teenager. So, yeah, church world was just wild. And so because we lived out of town, I had these people would take me in from the church for the weekend. I'd finish school on a Friday and they'd say, come and stay. And so I would stay at these church family that were obviously vetted by the pastor, people that were trusted, and I eventually locked in with just one family that took me in every single weekend through grade 11 and grade 12 taught me to drive. I saw a functional marriage, functional parenting. They just took me to their home. They would take me to soccer. They would take me surfing. They are like my second mum and dad, this wonderful couple. And um, their son and daughter are my little brother and little sister. Anyway, so I, that was like so transformative that I went away from what I was going to, what my professional angle was going to be after school and went to this Bible college. I was so intrigued. And so that's when I rocked up at Brizzy and uh, met Andy in 94. And then we started working together on a bunch of, he was running these skate clubs and different things, which is a lot of the pre-Red Frog programs Andy was already running. And I just jumped in boots and all because I had been helped so significantly. I was like, in. not only did I want to help others, it was so enjoyable. And I couldn't believe the fat, lazy Christians just watching on when they had the opportunity to get into it. So I just got into it. And so, 97, I met Rebecca Joy, New Zealand's greatest export. And by 99, I'd snagged her and married her. So we've been married now for 23 years. We've got three sons. Sam's 19, Josh just turned 17 yesterday, and Joel was 14 going on 24 and so we've now we've lived at Newcastle so 2000 we moved to the sunny coast to continue our apprenticeship in youth work and ministry and then in 2008 we moved to Newcastle to be the senior pastors of our church down here and wherever we've gone we've kind of taken the red frog stuff that we kind of worked at in the 90s in Bris Vegas and I took it to the sunny coast and then when I moved to Newcastle we brought it here and so same again I just think let's go for it. Let's actually help people. It's not just good for the person receiving the help, but it's good for the person doing the help. It starts out of what I got. I got so much help as a kid and it just ridiculously transformed my life. So Andy, we might we might come back to you just talking about what we said there around we don't start here. You know that where there's always this big story that usually sits behind someone that steps into the kind of role that you're in. And maybe if you're comfortable, we might get you to share a little bit of your story with the audience, some of the challenges you faced. 
Yeah, well, uh, when you're doing uni of all 12 contact hours a week, and don't those uni students do it tough, eh? Those 12 hours a week they have to go to uni <laughs> if they end up going. I actually had a bit of time up my sleeve and um, I actually got involved with the local church and um, I, I call it a bit of like a spiritual wedgie experience where I got really reefed uh, early where I realised that life just wasn't about me and my accounting career, my Reds membership, my snowboard trips with my mates, that it's actually about others as well. And I got really challenged at, at 18 that, that uh, you know, we lived in a very blessed country in Australia. We're so, you know, removed from a lot of the dramas around the world really. And I have a very, I come from a very blessed background, very good parents, great family. But I really got challenged that, hey, life's just not about me, it's about others as well, and really challenged that whole worldview that I had been living. So for me, I thought, well, you know, what, what can I do to give back into my world? And being a skater, I remember driving down a local road in Brisbane called Logan Road. We call it Bogan Road as locals on the south side. And then also <laughs> I was driving past 7-Eleven or Sullivan, as we call it, with the uh, great dollar slurpees had with day. And I remember driving down Bogan Road and I had my skate in the back of the car and I went past this 7-Eleven and there's all these little punk skaters, little grommets that were setting fired at these boxes down the side alley of the 7-Eleven. As all good citizens do, I kept driving straight past. But I got about three k's down the road. I thought, oh, I better not let these little grommies burn down this 7-Eleven. So I ripped my little Mazda 3D3 power around and legged it into this little Sullivan and stuck my head out the window and said, boys, what are you doing? And I said, oh, nothing. I said, want to go for a skate? They said, oh, that'd be awesome, man. So I pulled about 17 my Mazda 3D3 power back in the day when you could do that. And uh, I took him to a local skate park in Brisbane City called Pato Skate Park. But I started doing this every Friday night. I rock up to my local park. Some nights would be like three kids there. Other nights would be like 30 there. And I ring mates like Dave and some of my mates with their cars would come out and pick them up. We started this like youth club and it was very organic. I never planned to do it. It just sort of grew out of a need in my local area to actually engage these kids. These kids were like... 12, 13 years old, out at 11 at night in the neighbourhood. And I'm thinking, you know, do the parents even care? You know, these kids are out there. And so we started this like little, like a youth sort of gathering, skate gathering. So we did this every Friday night and, and then after a few years, we started about five more of these youth clubs all around Brizzy. And it was amazing. We saw a lot of change uh, behavior change it took about 15 months though to really get in with the kids like they it, to really earn trust you need to earn trust with a young person or young generation before you can make change and we see a lot of really good youth programs out there but because they lacked the trust of the people they're reaching they're just not effective and i found that just being consistent every friday night rocking up to my park I just earned the trust of these kids and it was really good too because if anything got stolen in my area, I could find it in a couple of hours. I just ring these boys and they tell me where it is. It's amazing. Good networks to have. But uh, in that, we saw a lot of these kids come out of the drugs and out of the alcohol and start making changes out of this scene. And over the next year, like I said, five years, we started five more of these clubs around Brizzy and, and that was the origins. And from there, they sort of evolved into heading down the Gold Coast for their schoolies. 
Like when you said that you decided that life wasn't just about you and then you drove past this 7-Eleven, like where did that come from? Where did the idea that life isn't just about you? Because, you know, the way you describe it is you grew up quite privileged and, you know, you had a beautiful family and you went through the motions and then all of a sudden you came up with this concept. Like where did that come from? Definitely coming into, I started going to church and started like reading the Bible. Actually, I never sort of read one. You know, I thought they were pretty prehistoric, and I thought Christians were like a big bunch of Ned Flanders out of the Simpsons. You know, like uh, and had no personality, and, and I had a very strange worldview, I guess, on the role the church plays in Australia, but also just coming to faith. That real challenge for me, this to think about, hey. Don't just get so selfish in, in our little worldview, but it's actually about others and, and it's bigger than that. So that, that faith experience definitely for me personally was a huge thing. And like I said, I best describe it as a spiritual wedge. You get my undies ripped over my forehead and say, Goulet, wake up to yourself, you bullfed, you know. And But I'm really glad. I was so thankful for that experience and so thankful that I met some really authentic people of faith around me that didn't just talk about it, they lived it. They were out there, you know, talking to people no one would talk to, doing, you know, random acts of kindness to others and and really demonstrating, I guess, what, what true religion looks like, which is loving people and loving others and not bashing people around the head with some steel reinforced Bible, but out there demonstrating your, your, your belief system in action and deeds and love is so important. So for me, the best way I formulated that was just through skateboarding and for me is just looking after kids that, that no one else was wanting to look after and uh, that was really good because I don't come from any sort of drug or alcohol background but it was a really amazing experience to learn about that scene and learn about the challenges in it, which is astronomical. That must have been a huge eye-opener. Oh, massive eye-opener. And I think that if you don't come from that background, you can get very disorientated or even not know how to help. Or, and I think that the average person sees all the issues on the TV drug and alcohol and mental health and all these issues, I say, well, what can I do, you know, because I wasn't a counsellor, psychologist or a mental health worker. I was just studying accounting at uni. But for me, it was just learning that everyone has a role to play in this world. Everyone has different skill sets. And if everyone just does something and everyone does that one thing, doing something's better than nothing. And you, you don't have all the answers, but you can be part of the answer. And I really found that just by being there for these young 11, 12-year-olds, and if I look back now, I was almost being like a, a substitute foster parent for these kids, really, on a Friday night. But they knew that Andy would be there, Andy's consistent, Andy, you know, does stuff with us. And, and that sort of, you know, became almost like a, a young dad for young teenagers at an early age when I didn't even realise it. Street dad. Street dad, yeah, skate street dad, you know, cool dad. <laughs> but I didn't realise at the time, but when I look back, I sort of see that's the role I played. So how then, like you're at the skate park with these boys, you said that they started going to the Gold Coast. How did being at the skate park with these boys develop into Red Frogs? Yeah, absolutely. Well, after putting five years into these young guys and seeing them come out of the drugs and out of the alcohol, and they got to year 12 themselves, they all went to the Goldie. And I just knew it was feral back in the day. It was so dangerous. There was like a lot of one-punch incidents, kids being dragged into cars, assaulted in sand gin areas, stuff coming off buildings, uh, people ledge walking. I just knew all this work I'd done with these young skaters could be gone in a week, that they could all get caught up in that scene again because it's all about environment. You know, you put a good kid 
in a bad environment, you get bad results. And, and so environment is everything around youth culture as well. So I just knew all that work I'd done could be gone in one week at schoolie. So I thought, hey, I'd better go and look after my boys. And uh, I actually did two schoolies weeks myself. I repeated year 12, so I could do two. <laughs> so I knew what it was about. And so I went down to help them out. And when I got down there, I was just, oh, my eyes were like dinner plates. So I just 30,000 on the Gold Coast had grown so much. And there were like stuff coming off buildings and guys doing nudie runs through Cavill Mall. And, and I'm just going, man, this is crazy. And my skaters were staying in this building. And, uh, you know, I just felt so sorry for hotel managers. So I just said, man, I just saw them trying to keep a lid on all these teenagers in their building, 400 of them with two security guards and one hotel manager. And I basically just said, hey, do you want to hand a school? It's, you know, you know, I'm a bit of a youth worker. I can help in your buildings. And that was my famous last words. They just dragged me into the building <laughs> and just said, yes, please, can you help us? I think they offered, yeah, they just kept offering us free rooms and stuff. It was incredible. Who would say no to that? <laughs> free room on the Gold Coast <laughs> with another 400 kids. <laughs> Absolutely. So my first visit down to the Gold Coast was incredible. It was so eye-opening. It was like, you know, 30,000 on the Gold Coast with uh, kids everywhere, stuff coming off buildings. And I just remember seeing these Japanese tourists that had just flown into the Gold Coast in the middle of schoolies week, huddling their kids down Cavill Moors. Hundreds of schoolies were going past them, chanting, let's go down the road, let's go down the road, and thinking that's what they think that's what all these are like, and they're not half wrong. <laughs> but I remember th- seeing, you know, the carnage down there. And when I went to the hotel manager, I said, hey, look, do you want a hand at schoolies week? She just went, oh, yes, please, that'd be amazing. And so she, then she goes like, how much does that cost? I said, no, no, free. I sort of volunteer at a local church. I can bring some of my mates down to help. And she goes, oh, that'd be fantastic. And she goes, would you like a free room in our five-star resort on the Gold Coast for the week for your workers? I went, oh, yeah, that'd be okay. I think I could manage that. <laughs> I think I could manage that, absolutely. And then she goes, can we feed you in a buffet restaurant every day? I went, yes. And so we screen printed up all these shirts. Went back to Brizzy and we screen printed up all these shirts called Hotel Chaplaincy and went straight back down the coast and just started crashing parties, going floor to floor, finding kids passed down stairwells and we drag them back to the units and finding, finding down the beach, we take them off the beaches so the predators wouldn't have their waves with them and walk them home and finding them out on those ledges and verandas doing crazy stuff and pulling them back from the edges of those verandas. And, but we're having a bit of trouble getting into rooms. It takes us 10 minutes to talk our way in. And I was with my mate Lukey. I said, mate, it's got to be an easy way of doing this, mate. He goes, yeah, I agree. So we went down to the local corner store and found this big box of Alan's Red Frog sitting on this counter. And there was a little corner store in the end of Cavill around from the kebab shop. And we got this big box of frogs. I think I took the shop owner down to 10 bucks because I told him what we're doing. <laughs> we went straight back up to this building. And as soon as we knocked on the first schoolies door, as soon as they opened, they saw the box of frogs and went, oh, Red frogs, and then they, they drag me into this big drinking party, grabbing handfuls, going, We got frogs, grabbing handfuls of these red frogs. And then one bloke gets on the phone to his mate's unit downstairs, going, We got frogs, and they're coming up from downstairs. And I'm standing here 
in this drinking party going, these things are amazing. So this whole thing where parents have said, don't take lollies from strangers, yeah, it doesn't work, eh? <laughs> it's just amazing. So you've got us into all the parties. And this is how Red Frog started. Yeah, just got us straight in, yeah. So got on the phone to all our workers and Dave was there too going, mate, boy, the Goldie had a Red Frog right now. And they thought I was tripping on something. I said, no, 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 every Woolies Coles. And we went to every Woolies Coles and we found – Campbell Cash and Carry, a big wholesaler, and you get the big bags of red frogs. We've got 80 kilos of these red frogs. And they just got us straight in all these parties. Just before it take you ages, but it was just instant. And even part big security guards that wouldn't let you in. They go, where are you going? I said, I'm visiting schoolies. You can't come near, mate. I said, do you want a red frog? Go, oh, yeah, bro, yeah, bro, go on in, bro. Love lady, the security <laughs> guards, it's free stuff. They just love it. So we started with 80 kilos in our first year and then went back to Brizzy. Then the next year I got a call from Gold Coast City Council again and they said, oh, Andy, can you come back? You know, we saw less property damage. We saw less impact on the Gold Coast Hospital. During you bring your teams back in the hotels, you're actually getting into the pre-drinking, which is where most of the real damage is done, and that's causing a lot of issues for our AMBOs and emergency services and all the, you know, property damage, and we love what you're doing. So we brought back 45 workers the next year, went through 220 kilos of frogs, then the next year is 90 workers and then 440 kilos of frogs. Then 120 workers, 880 kilos of frogs. And the year after that, 1.2 tonne of Alan's red frogs. It's pretty cool. Like, you know, you hit life goals sometimes. One day you say, I'm going to own a tonne of confectionery, and that's a tick in the box there right there. But now it's got a seven-tonne a year, looking after 70,000 schoolies and over 17 locations, including three islands in Fiji and Bali, we talked to 70,000 in high school education programs. And, um, yeah, Dave, Dave was amazing. Dave actually pioneered our second location. So out of the Gold Coast for two years, he then pioneered Sunshine Coast, uh, which is our second-ever location. And so I think Dave was struggling up at Noosa, mate, for the cause which made in Noorabar. Uh, tough gig you had too, mate. You just got to do what you got to do. Just I'm here to serve, Andy. <laughs> Left me all the vomiters on the Gold Coast. Correct. <laughs> This is a shout out to all the teachers, parents and principals that may be listening. We all know I'm a big advocate for improving your mental health, but how can you know when to act? PHM, otherwise known as Project Health Monitoring, provides a versatile, safe and secure digital platform that allows students a means to communicate current and emerging issues in real time. The platform provides educators with data to take targeted and timely action so that their students feel known, valued and cared for. PHM takes away the days of second guessing. With children increasingly connected via technology, the PHM approach allows students to initiate a conversation without having to raise their hands. Students need to feel connected and empowered by being directly engaged socially and emotionally. For a free project health check on your school, please click in the link provided in our show notes. This will enhance your students' well-being, performance, and their academic outcomes. Now, back to the show. And Andy, when you started telling the beginning of this story, you started with, you know, that you're an accountant and you drove past and you saw these guys on the street with their skateboards. For you, was there a lead up into that with your history? Like, have you faced a lot of adversity as a young child into your young adulthood? Or was it really just like driving past, seeing these kids, getting involved and then getting more and more involved? The more you got involved, the more you realized how much 
others needed you, serving other people. Yeah, no, my story is totally opposite to Dave's. I come from an excellent, a great, really functional family and didn't really struggle for anything. Never was a drinker, never got into drugs. I was always the good kid at school, totally opposite sort of lifestyle pattern to, I guess, a lot of the kids I then started helping with. But for me, it was definitely my faith was a massive uh, turning point for me, that that whole, I guess, inner uh, change of my whole value system really about becoming about others as well not just yourself and and really challenging my selfishness and that for me was my core thing i was saying hey listen you just can't keep walking past homeless people and do nothing you just can't keep walking past others that are in need and do nothing when you you're so blessed and you're so you got so much that 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 if everyone just does something we make a huge impact in our world. And it's, it's about having ownership of our whole community, not just being in our own little worlds. But it really blew my whole worldview out that, that and stopped me living very in this narrow lane of just my little world. It actually opened me up to explore new worlds, explore new things. And then, then from there, it absolutely was just trial and error. It's very learning that about the drug area, learning about the alcohol issues, and then learning as we went to develop more structures and referral networks around it. So I had no idea what I was doing to start with. I just took it skating. And that was okay. It was, and I, when, I, when I look back now, I was really being like almost like a, 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 uh, almost like a foster dad to these young 12, 13-year-olds. As an 18-year-old, and I look back at my journey, I was really... Almost like a street foster dad. Yeah, street dad. That sounds cool. I should get a shirt made up. Like on the street, I'm your dad out here. Yeah, who's your daddy? <laughs> I'll I'll street. Let's Christmas. do it. It's the next, it's the next shirt. We'll street get dad. We could do our own rap song, Dave, to that too. <laughs> I've been in this industry a long time, Andy. I, my background's in working with 8 to 21-year-olds that are homeless or at risk in far west New South Wales. And, you know, it's quite rare to see someone come through the ranks with the passion that you have coming from a privileged background and not having experienced a lot of adversity. You would have come across adversity, but what you're saying is it really was about faith and about what you saw and then getting involved and then seeing such a huge need there. That's incredible by itself, but to see that you've grown it and that you're still doing it and that you're still there on the streets doing the work on the front line blows my mind yeah i think it's there's keys to longevity i think particularly in that area i think the burnout rate for that sector is about two and a half years on average for social workers and it's Mm. a really heavy heavy thing so i think you got to find you why you do what you do Uh, and i found that quite early or find that uh, also develop your boundaries that that you can't do everything but you can do something and it's, you're not going to have wins. Like some of the kids in my initial youth club, uh, some have passed away, some are in jail, some are now amazing businessmen that own three houses. So you're not going to have all the wins, but there are some wins there. And look, ultimately, people decide their own choices, make their own choices. But then it's, for me, it's like, well, what role did I play? Did I give them the best opportunity to make the best choice or did I do nothing? And so for me... Doing something's always better than nothing. It's just unacceptable to do nothing for me. And I think in that passion that you just can't do nothing. You must do something. And it's just not the government's fault. It's just not the council's fault. We just 
blame all these other services where every one of us has a role to play. So I think that taking that ownership that, you know, for your community, for your world is so important. And I think that revelation hit me early, which was just a real life, always a life changer for me. And, and it's been so much fun. I mean, to, you know, to, and you have some losses, but some of the wins are incredible. The stories at school is blowing me away. Like, People, you know, struggling with suicide ideation, the team's in the right building at the right floor at the right time just to intervene and get them down to the mental health triage. And again, just this week and just reading this morning, all the stories coming through just absolutely makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. So I think if you keep refreshing your why you do what you do, you can have a lot of longevity in what you're doing. And what would you say, because I know we've only got you for a few more moments, what would you say are the biggest lessons that you've taken away from your experiences as a, being in Red Frogs? Yeah, look, definitely. I think the power of little is great. That's probably one of my things, that the power of little things you do is great, that it's actually not the big things you do, but it's little things consistent. And also that culture can be changed, that, that culture is learnt. So it can be taught, so it can be changed. Never accept that our culture can't be changed, that drug and alcohol patterns can't be changed, mental health patterns can't be changed because culture is learnt, so it can be taught, it can be changed. And cultural change comes from little things over a long period of time. Like the smoking lobby in Australia, one of the most amazing culture-shaping lobby groups I've seen where they chipped away in the early 70s of just little things of uh, of smoking regulations and year by year they just did little by little by little to now we have incredible smoke-free zones everywhere and, you know, no longer people smoking in planes and restaurants and businesses and they they just did little things over a long period of time. So one of the biggest revelations is the power of little is great. And also, too, looking back on my journey, the little things at Frogs, I'm so stoked for three hours of my week, I just went and skated with those young kids. And if I'm really honest, the rest of the week was all about me, my career, my mates, what I want to do. But for three hours of my week, week after week, month after month, year after year, I kept that consistency. And then that created this amazing pathway now called Red Frogs. And I think that uh, people get a bit overwhelmed. They think, how can I make a difference? You know, I'm so busy, I've got kids, I've got jobs, all this. No, no, no. What little thing can you do and just do it consistent? And so that power of little is just powerful. And if everyone, also this, another big principle of mine is doing something is better than nothing. You don't have all the answers, but you can be part of the answer. And if everyone does their one thing, that adds up to a lot of answers in people's lives. And so, again, you can't do everything, but you can do something. So doing something's better than nothing for me as well. And also, too, I found that you can achieve anything you want in life if you include others. You can't do it by yourself. And I think that's evident schoolies, too. We can't do schoolies by ourselves. We need the AMBOs, we need police, we need Beyond Blues mental health training, we need drug up, rosies, local council, government infrastructure, security, and together we can have a red rock art schoolies. By ourselves, we get absolutely owned. And that's very true back in the day, Dave, when it's just like us sort of think PCYC and then um, some police. We got owned down here. Like it was just running fights and stuff happening everywhere. But as soon as other agencies started to come in and layer it and develop the infrastructure, it's now become such a safe environment for young people. So I think that power of little, doing something and nothing and partnering is key things I've learned in my journey. And Andy, one of my questions for you before we say goodbye to you is, 
What message do you have? And I know this is a huge question, but what message do you have for a mum and dad out there that kids are going to school is if they're going, they haven't been yet this year or if they're going next year, what would you like to say to those parents? How can they better prepare their children or how can they better prepare themselves for what's coming up ahead? Yeah, we actually are doing a lot in that parent space too. We've actually got a parent forum on Facebook they can uh, join. Uh, also got top tips for parents as well, some really basic things they can do uh, for any young person going to school. Is what Once just take food, put food with them. Uh, you know, bake some lasagnas or spaghetti bolognese, but if they're not eating during the week, they crash and burn. And if they're drinking as well, they need to be eating. But also water, buy slabs of water, take water with them because alcohol dehydrates them. And if they're drinking, get in the clear beers and in the water is so important. So that's a big one too. And also too, remove the fear of ringing triple zero. We have over 8,000 calls on our Red Frog hotline. We get these calls. Uh, young people ring up going, oh, if I ring triple zero, my mates try drugs. If I ring triple zero, we'll get in trouble. The answer is no, it goes to the AMBOs and AMBOs treat the patients, they're not police. So they should have the ultimate confidence to ring triple zero and be as honest as they can be with what they may try it as drugs or underage drinking, whatever it is as well. But also to download the Red Frog app on their phone or the Red Frog hotline number where they can walk homes. And, uh, you know, we do over 5,000 walk homes over schoolies. And that's actually dropped sexual assaults we've had to deal with by 75% in the last 10 years. Just for that early intervention of walking in groups, uh, getting the frogs to walk at home, just amazing that early intervention strategy has been incredible. So the Red Frog Hotline, food and water, don't be afraid to ring triple zero. There's some of our top tips we give parents if they're going to schoolies or if young people are going to schoolies. And, you know, we're going to draw more out of this, Dave, when we talk to you as well towards the end of our conversation around what are your tips or what we haven't spoken about already because it's, you know, for the parents out there, you can't get it right either. Like, you know, it's about what Andy said earlier, doing little bits or doing something over doing nothing. So, you know, if your kids have already gone off this week and you're like, why well, didn't do any of that? That's okay. Take a breath. You know, it's this is not the end of it. They're going to go off to uni. They're going to go off to partying with their friends. So these tips that we're talking about here can be transferred across to multiple environments and multiple experiences, festivals and parties and home parties even. Like if you're going to have a party in your house, make sure there's food, make sure there's water, easy accessible, things like that. Dave, we might head over towards you and just have a bit of a conversation. You started telling us a little bit about your childhood in this podcast, Challenges That Change Us. We often talk to our guests about some of those challenges they've faced and some of the lessons that they've taken away from that. So we might swing it over to you around when you said you had a bit of a rougher childhood. Do you want to talk a little bit around that for us? Yeah, it was an interesting journey. Both my mum and dad are wonderful people and it wasn't until I was an adult I realized just how well they'd done from what they were dished up as children you know I mean like they've they've done very well then that was quite difficult and then throw in mum having this car accident where she nearly died and then just having to manage life around that how old were you when your mum had the car accident I was five I don't remember what it's like to have a mum who can walk properly so we were building house, family house, just south of Foster Tunkari on the mid-north coast. And uh, mum was driving home from the house. She was taking tile samples and you know, doing those sorts of things for all the different bathrooms and laundry and kitchen and came around a blind corner. There was two guys, one in her lane, one in the opposite lane. They were racing on the lakes way and they pushed to the left and they pushed to the left. And so there was a head-on car accident which happened across 
maybe about 60 centimetres of the car, so each of those cars. And so my mum's right leg was pushed up her body permanently, probably about two inches. So mum's just a mess between basically knee and middle of the torso. She just, she's just an absolute mess. So that was in 1980. And so it wasn't until 88, she had one of Australia's first ever hip replacements. And they said, we don't know how long it's going to last. Um, could, could last... At 10 months could last 10 years packed eventually packed it in about five years ago actually but now she's a bit she's too old and frail to do a replacement but life revolved around taking care of mum she was mm. always in pain but quite a quite an overcomer she was a woman of faith and um my dad wasn't so it was an interesting journey but dad didn't want kids and I was the third <laughs> dad didn't want any and I was the third and I was Talked to my mum who did special education, you know, high needs sort of stuff. I talked to her as an adult and I said, Mum, if I was at school these days, would they, would they, you know, would they diagnose me with something? She goes, Oh man, they would be diagnosing you with, with everything. They would be trying to drug you up to the eyeballs, son. So, what I've tried to do as an adult is to face up to the fact that I've got ADHD. But if I can focus in on the strengths of that, I've turned it into ADHA. So it's attention deficit hyperactivity asset. I'm making it an asset. It's not a deficit anymore. So I'm I'm all over it. It's your superpower, right? Once you know it and you yeah. can when you can channel it into I gotta channel it, but I've also got to make sure that the negatives that are associated with it that naturally come, I'm not allowing that to be an excuse. Oh, it's just me, everyone should work around me. No, that makes me the victim and everyone has to play around it. And so all of my all of my issues, which I could be a victim of all of my life, I've just worked out and it was was actually through was brilliant people in church and actually reading the Bible that I was like, I don't have to be a victim to this stuff. No matter how messed up it is, I can actually have some victory over these things. And so, yeah, so it was, it was, a, it was a rough life. My dad's word for me, all of my growing up life was the word infuriating. So he was an army sergeant major and I was the, I was the stone in his shoe, no doubt. <laughs> I was difficult to deal with. And then dad couldn't go to work. He was a spouse carer of a, a disabled of a disabled lady and so kind of life was rough but we all just had to pitch in and do stuff we all just had to get at it and so we learned to do things i learned to cook the family meal once a week as from the age that i could see over the bench top and mum would be yelling out directives from the lounge room do this now dave okay what about this now and so it was it was rough and we were certainly bottom of the food chain when it came to socioeconomic um, but i had consistent parents there were consistent values, consistent boundaries. They were pretty rough at times. But yeah, so in my teen years, I sought affirmation outside of the home and that's where I ended up doing stuff that I really probably didn't want to do and that's where I ended up using people, hurting people at the end of a bottle or at the end of a bong. So yeah, it was. I certainly was quite insecure. I was looking for love. I was looking for affirmation. If anyone would laugh at my jokes, I was pumped. Mm. And I think like you said, as an adult, when you look back, you can be like, my parents were doing the best, but it doesn't change your experience as a child and that's nothing against your parents. It's still, you know, you lost essentially lost your mum as you knew her when you were five, which is one of the critical times of development for a child. And then your dad having to quit work, I'm sure he wouldn't have been happy about that. Nah. Again, can't change it. It was how it was, but it doesn't – like that has to play out in some way. It either has to play out behavioural-wise, play out emotionally, you know, something's got to happen with that kind of experience. Yeah, look, it certainly played out and I was distractible. I was I was naughty. 
academically, I was a child genius. I was, I was way beyond my years. And so I was in this little school in an underprivileged kind of area. And the principal actually went back to some of his, his contacts from his earlier days in life. And he got me a scholarship. He went to there was some big private school in Sydney boys school that offered me a scholarship because I was that brilliant. And my principal said, we can't help this kid. He's, mm. He could see the tension. He could see the difficulties. And uh, my mum and dad, I didn't find this out until a lot later, but my mum and dad said, this kid okay. definitely needs parents. This, yeah. kid, this kid definitely needs a stable home. Could you imagine this kid <laughs> in a boarding school somewhere in Sydney? And also your parent, your mum needed you there as well. You know, I'm sure it was probably both ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, look, she did. I was mum's little helper. She was as loving as she possibly could. It wasn't until later on in life I found out just how much pain she was in every single day and then she wouldn't. She certainly barked the orders of what we needed to do for her, but that was understandable. But she was in just immense amount of pain all of her life. And again, you can't see that, right, with someone. You can't see the pain. So your experience of being in that environment is very different to understanding what the other person's going through, especially when you're a teenager and a teenage boy. Yeah, yeah. So I was, I was as a teenage lad, I was trying to toe the line of do the things at home do all the chores that were necessary and then also live life, do my studies. I love the surf, love getting in the waves and uh, we just had the most amazing waves that nobody was in because of a very remote area of New South Wales. So, yeah, it was quite it was quite the juggle. Yeah, but like I said, I think I went down the party line not because it was something I wanted to. I, it was probably because I wanted the affirmation. I wanted to be where the people were. And wanted community. Yeah, 100%. Wanted, yeah, I, wanted, I wanted community where there wasn't stress, there wasn't problems, there, there was not expectations and barking orders. So, yeah, that's where I ended up. That's how I ended up at church because the girl just invited me along. So, I went, okay, I'll go to church. I'll check out this church thing and – it just so intrigued me. It just so intrigued me. I'd seen a bit of church. Mum had dragged us to church as kids, maybe once every blue moon. And it was to Uniting Church, so pretty stiff. And the, the guy at the front's wearing a long dress and with a dog collar. And I'm like, geez, the ways this kind of policy of young people should be seen and not heard. They're lovely people, but it just obviously wasn't going to fit that ADHD kid sitting in those pews, getting whacked by my mum. But yeah, so I went to this church and I'm like, this is not the church that I remember. And it was lively. And then there was people that gave a rip and, and there was a blade. There was this one lady on the front door. She would, and you couldn't see her. She was four foot nothing, blue rinse, a lovely, lovely old duck called Vivian. And she would just come in and hug you. You'd just be like, it was like an octopus on your hip, like right there. And like, oh, geez, there's the blue rinse about there. But that within the pastors who had kids about my age and then these other families that took me in and they said, look, we know you're from a rough spot. They talked to my parents. There's about five families that included me and I'm like, okay, what well, wouldn't have happened without that? And, and the pastors knew that and the, my parents are very thankful. It wasn't until later, especially with this one family that took me in every weekend for a year and a half, maybe two years. But I look back and I went, man, feeding a 16-year-old is just rough work. I mean, I've got a 19, a 17, a 14-year-old in my home and I'm like, like I nearly had to sell a kidney recently just to be able to, just to, be able to cope. But these families just do it. They just took me in it and it was just so transformative for me. And it's that unconditional acceptance, don't you think? Like that's what I'm hearing as you say that. I don't think we give enough credit in this world to people feeling like you – I mean, you still would have made mistakes, Dave, even with those families. You would have done things that probably weren't appropriate or not okay for that moment. Everyone's going to do that and we'll be talking about this later in the podcast. But having that unconditional safe space can just change someone's life. 
and the trajectory that they're on. Yeah, that was interesting where things were raised because I don't think unconditional love or unconditional value includes sweeping things under the carpet. No. I think you don't want to be left where I think the wounds of a friend are faithful. And so once you find that that person loves you, then for them to bring up the things that say, hey, you're loved, but this is not going to help you long term. Can we talk about this? And being open to actually identify the people that, hey, when they need to have a chat, I need to be listening right here and it might hurt because a lot of people take correction as rejection. And so I certainly had to deal with that because of coming from a insecure needing affirmation kind of angle of life. I really had to deal with that. That was difficult. took a while to get through, but it was actually someone who was no matter what I did or no matter what they brought up, they were there. They were going to feed me next week. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I suppose I was – there was purity behind that love. There was purity behind that affirmation. There was purity behind that correction as well. It was really needed. And that's when we're going to be talking about how do we help our teenagers navigate the next few years, you know. It seems to be some for many by the time they get to 30, they've kind of ridden a lot of the waves, but not everyone. But, you know, it's that sort of 14 through to 30 where parents worry so much about are we doing the right thing? Are we saying the right thing? Are we calling the behaviour the way we should call it? Are we doing it enough? Are we not doing it enough? There's no rule book for parenting. And I think that's where the the strength comes in our conversation with you today because you were one of those guys on hanging out with your mates, doing the things that parents worry about, you know. And so what not just the care of the people that took you in, but looking back and reflecting on it, what would you be saying to parents that have a young teenage boy that's out there that's starting to spend more time outside of the home than in the home and starting to get involved in things that perhaps the parents are not sure about if they're going to be the best decisions or the safe decisions? Look, there are two ways to look at it. Really, people end up in those situations not overnight. It takes years to develop those sorts of reactions and behaviors and patterns. And so I would say to a parent, don't be hasty, be patient and have a good plan. And so with that, it's understanding it took a while to get there. It's going to take a while to get out of that. And that's okay. If you are at the end of your rope, find some patience, find some support yeah, I mean, I'm a pastor of a church. We give that. We spend a lot of time with parents. We do a lot of pre-marriage. We do a lot of parenting support. We do a lot of work and help with single parents on how to navigate those sorts of things. But I would say they took a while to get there. Find a principled plan that you can be consistent with. Also, make sure that if you're married, if the parents are in the home or if it's a step-parent situation, that at least you're unified you must be agreed unity is is massive because if kids can split you they will if they can divide you that's divide and conquer right there and even if they can't they're still going to try yeah, you know like they're going to really try and get a wedge in there so that they can get a different answer yeah so they'll they'll, they'll give it a go so you want to be unified it comes to a point then i suggested to a family recently and i said you need a great reset and they thought i was talking about something else <laughs> and they said what do you mean i said you actually, if you sit down with your kids and say, we're going to cook your favorite meal 
but when we cook that favorite meal, all the devices are off and we're sitting talking. Now, if you are building family values, I would suggest that family meal is massive to be able to instill values and instill relationship. Screens off, sit down, manners. It actually really, really works to be able to actually be able to instill values with kids. But if your teenager has gone too far and you're worried and wondering, so I'm going to, I'm going to cook the most, the best meal, bring them all in and then say, mum and dad need to apologize. It'll mess with the kid's head because they're going, I thought we we're going to be in trouble. This is a family meeting. Now, you need to apologize to say, hey, look, we're the parents and we're the leaders here. And so, what we want to do is we want to apologize that it's gotten to this point where things are a bit out of control. But what we want to do is we want to bring it, we want to bring it back to some family values. And so, if you as a couple can be united, what are our values? What do we really want to see happening around here? It could be a value of respect. It doesn't have to be faith-based, it, but if you are faith-based, then dig to the depths of, of that and find the wisdom in that. But it could be respect. It could be generosity. It could be we all share the load. And so, let's talk about it. Let's sit down. And I'm, But if you start with, I am sorry that it's got to this, and we need to actually set a new standard about what it's like to be in this home, then what you're doing is then you can actually say, this. you've made it clear. These are the boundaries. This is how this family works. And um, there's a story in the Bible about a prodigal who goes off and he just wastes everything. And he says, he, the Bible says he comes to himself and he goes, it's better back in my dad's house. And I think, could you imagine, faith or no faith, could you imagine if your kid, no matter what they're up to, they'll hit the deck somewhere. It doesn't work. Wouldn't it be better if those kids go, it's better back at mum and dad's house. It's just, it's just better. And we've got some rules and we've got some boundaries and I don't always like it. They cramp my style, but it's better there. And so, you be clear on those values and boundaries. Then what you can do is then you can chat to your kid and go, I'm going to ask you to reconsider. Hey, look, you've got got to work out at what age it's appropriate to be able to do that. But hey, what you're doing outside of these four walls, because you can make some boundaries around what happens in your four walls, because it's not just about the kid that's doing the wrong thing. It's about everyone else in the home, including the ones that are watching on. But you can say, hey, look, what you're doing outside of the four walls, I've seen people think that they can nail it, think that they can do all of those things and they think it's going to be okay and it's not. Sometimes people, it looks like it's good and sometimes the influences on social media, it looks good, but I'm going to ask you to reconsider that and we will love you and no matter what happens, if you call, like I've got one of my teenagers and we've always said to the kids and, and we've been blessed with, with our kids, but what we've said to them, if you're in a situation and you need to get out, no matter what, text, we just have a code text. It's just X, just text X, which means that we call up and say, there's a family emergency. We're coming to pick you up. We do exactly the same with our family, but it's an animal. Like you just text because they might not be able to say, I need help or someone reads the text. But if my kids text me an animal, I call up and say, there's a family emergency. I need to come and get you. Same thing. Yes. So once you start to set up, what are the values? What are the boundaries? And what Hey, I'm asking you to do that. As soon as they do what you deem to be the right thing, reinforce it, reward it. What is the reward that, that inspires that kid? Hey, I'm going to take you out shopping. Hey, I just want to say thanks for what you did. I want to reward it. Hey, we're going like his 
you know, when we go on holidays, I'm taking you for extra ice creams. I don't know. Like, what's the th- what's the thing that works? How how do you do it? How do you reward? And sometimes you've got to ask the kids, right? Sometimes we don't know, and that's where it can come back. Those that have been on our podcast a few times to the love language and what's your child's love language. If you haven't done that yet, jump on and do it. Gary Allen has a test. It's a great book. Yeah, yeah, and you can just jump on and look up love language quiz, and that can help with some of the things that Dave's saying around how do we reward? How do people feel appreciated and and recognised within their own world? What's your love language, Alan? Mine's touch and time. And I've got three kids, two of them are the same, which helps because it's very easy for me to do it that way. But my third one's different and so I find it a little more challenging. What about you? Well, look, I'm acts of service and words of affirmation. Hence red frogs. (laughs) That's going out there and walking the street and and, and doing the chaplaincy. I don't know if it's personality driven or, I mean, being raised by a disabled mum, that's pretty standard. And I got, that was reinforced a lot. And the words of affirmation, I don't need a whole bunch of positive. But for those that are close to me, the negative, man, can carve me up. So Yeah, it's like an arrow going straight into the heart. My wife is quality time and I just think it's high maintenance. <laughs> that's how I'd feel if you were uh, my husband and was acts of service. You know, it's that, it's <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. It, and that's it. That's that's why it's so important <laughs> to know your love languages and to have those conversations. It's not expensive with gifts, yeah, right? No, no, that's right. But I was thinking, Dave, when you were talking then, and I'm just going to sum up some of what you were saying and then we'll lay that deeper, was when you were talking initially around the reactions that kids have, parents have, that's something that you can also think about like your emotional signature within that relationship. So when you're looking at, you know, don't necessarily always look at the family as a whole, look at you with that single child and how is it that you two relate to each other in a time of conflict. So I often say to people, how do you fight? And then, like, do you attract, do, like, do you draw together? Do you go silent? Do you yell? Do you throw things? Do you whatever? But start having a look at that. And that's where you can start to say, well, I notice that every time we get in these kind of discussions, X happens. What are we going to do about that? And then you can start to layer a plan around that. And when you were talking about the foundations, because you were talking about setting framework, like when you sit down and talk about the values of the family, what you're doing there is saying this is our starting point and so that if you're going north, you can measure it. You can be like this is where we are so we can see we're tracking north. If you start tracking south, you're like, oh, it's going in a different direction. Let's just bring that bar back to where we started and then we'll go and raise it from there. But that framework starts when your kids are toddlers. Yes. And I think that's a really important concept that we need to remember. When you teach your child to walk and to run, you create a space and environment for that child to learn. For some reason, as soon as our kids turn into adults or into teenagers, we all of a sudden freak out and we're deer in headlights that we're going to get it so wrong in a moment. And I love, Dave, that you say that it doesn't happen overnight. You might make one mistake, but that's not usually where we see kids go off the rails. It's like... It's time and time and time and time again of doing, hanging with a certain crowd, doing a certain thing, experiencing it, taking it to the next level. So just remember that you can bring it back to when my child learned to walk. It was over a period of months. And now this learning how we're going to navigate teenage years and partying and safe space will also take that same amount of time. Yeah, look, I'm currently writing a book on three books it's going to end up as, but one is in regards to what kind of relationships lead into a a strong partnership and marriage. And and that's based upon common values and common life goals. It Mm. really does come down to it. Obviously, you need a bit of chemistry right there. And so, 
the way that I watch the world go about relationships, which is more about physicality out of the gate. I don't think the guy at the nightclub looks across at the girl on the other side and says, gee, she looks like she's got a great personality. He's thinking something <laughs> yes. else, right? And, uh, and so he's going to give the affection that he has no idea about to get the sex that he's really keen for and how many times it's the opposite. She's given the sex to get the affection. She's it's a little bit stereotypical, but that's solidly true across how many nightclubs or pubs in Australia. So the thought is it's values, commonality values and life goals, commonality that's actually going to get you down the track long term. How do you actually steer around difficult situations? How does that happen? You find that out in the courting stage. But then my second book that I'm writing, I'm halfway through the first one, is going to be in regards to parenting. And so the parenting journey is there's two, I was talking with this great clinical psychologist friend of mine, world-renowned Robbie Sonderegger, absolutely amazing. We talked about the two stages to get to at age 13. And the first stage, if you look to get to 13, uh, as as a Christian, the Jews pattern is that age 13, that kid is now an adult, like actually an adult. And so I want to raise my kids to be adults. And that was always my goal with my wife. We're going to train these kids to be adults. Hey, they'll be in our home still. We're not sending them out to go and get married and work somewhere at age 13, but that's what we're training for. And there's two stages to get there. And one is actually a concrete authority stage where we're being clear. Mum loves dad, dad loves mum, you won't cross us. So we're gonna we're gonna teach you things. We are here to teach you. And so there's clear rules and there's clear boundaries and there's clear rewards and clear consequences and lots of love given. And so I would encourage parents to say, if you say, hey, look, if you do that again, I will do X. Well, you've got to be willing to follow through with X if they do it again, or you are not a man or a woman of your word. You teach that kid not the values that you're trying to teach just by your actions. And so I would say to a kid, well, if you do that one more time, then you're off. Or there'd be certain ones that went straight to the top. Obviously, you can't hit your brother in the head with a hammer. And I don't want you sticking a fork in the PowerPoint. And I don't want you running to the road. And so we go straight to a very a tough punishment with those kids. Why? It's better that that kid get up than die with the fork up the PowerPoint or across the, I mean, they'll have to scrape them up off the road and get them to the John Harder Hospital. So we would go straight there. If I say no, that's a no, that's what we're doing. But it's based in, those rules are based in then our values. When I get to that second stage, which is about six to seven, some kids develop earlier and some later, but you get to that second stage and now we're discussing if my kid is going to negotiate in good faith and with a good attitude, oftentimes I'll let them do it. I'll be like, yes, fantastic. What would you like? Why? Because one of the key things I'm aiming at when they are an adult is that they can negotiate without having an emotional breakdown. I don't want them to throw it. It's easier to deal with a tantrum at age two than at age 17. And so I'm teaching them now, you do the right thing. Even if you're asking for something that I'm like, nah, not going to happen, mate. Then I'll be like, yeah, sure. And I'd, I'd say, because this is simply because you took that well, you took that correction well, or you negotiated well, you didn't come with a bad attitude. And so while I'm, what I'm looking to do is I'm looking to reinforce those good values and I'm going to discuss it. I'm going to be more discussing it all the way through to hopefully get to age 13, where I've now got three young adults in my home and they're, well, they're still boys, but they're good boys. And I'm, I'm prepping them. I'm prepping them for that all the way through. So if I haven't given that foundation, or if that foundation has run amiss, it will take some time to rejig and go. What are the foundations that I missed? Now that I've got a teenager who's running in a lane that I that I think is dysfunctional and is going to be harmful for them in the future. 
what are the values? Come back. Hey, this is a value I'm going to ask you to listen and consider. Depending on how far they go, at least they can say it's better back in mum and dad's house. And I think what we're hearing there, and this is really important, is it's removing your ego and your fear from the situation and teaching. So sometimes if as a parent, you can say to yourself, if I was to remove me out of this picture and I was going to coach or teach this situation that's in front of me, how would I do it differently? Because I think we put ourselves in it so often, which is when our parenting gets slightly wobbly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find the two gear changes that happen in before age 13, if you can get it done well, the first one is actually quite a strong authority. It is black and white. It is concrete. It is if mum says it, that goes. If dad says it, that's what goes. It means I don't, I don't correct my wife. I don't say, oi, I disagree. I say, hey, can we stop? Hey, kid, you're in timeout. Why? Because I need to talk with your mother, but I'm not saying that. We go away and like, hey, what like, just this kid's getting away with murder or I think you're being a bit harsh. So at least we, we go away and we're agreed that way. But yeah, that first one is quite concrete. And so it does come with consequences and very clear, but I'm giving that kid a foundation. But some parents want that kid to be their friend. Like that kid will have so many friends in their life, but you're the parent. That is such a wonderful, beautiful relationship and responsibility. It comes together. You can't separate those two. The second one is you change gears and now we're talking consequences. Some parents are very hard out of the gate and don't change gears to be the mentor, to be the, the one that can discuss things. No, I said it, that still has to go. And what it teaches a child to do, they, you either crush a child or you'll create a place of rebellion. You'll lock horns one day and that kid has been doing things for a while that you don't know about. So it starts with concrete authority, respect, love, honor, obedience. Now we're into, because of those rules are based in values, now we're discussing the values. And now from age 13, I'm giving them more and more choice and we talk through their discussions. So it's interesting on that whole deal of how I work with Andy. We all started with Red Frogs and I still have a lot to do with it. But in the space that I'm at with my work in my church and with my community not-for-profit that we run, we do a lot of work with parenting. And so Andy's become full-time frog angle and uh, my world is broadened and uh, this is actually one of my areas of passion is actually raising kids. Yeah, I'm, I know. I'm just like, this is so interesting and will be so valuable for people. And I think what you're saying there when you say once over 13, think about it as often it's a debrief or an unpack or a, you know, how can we do it differently next time? Because the situation has occurred. Like, you know, so it's like, let's talk about this. And and again, I like to think about it in business. How would you coach someone if you were their leader or you're the CEO and they're doing something like, we don't just fire them and kick them out the door. We're like, all right, well, this happened. Let's look at why it happened and how are we going to do it differently and what do you need from me and how can I help you through this and, you know, elevate their confidence so that they can walk into that situation the second time feeling more secure with their own decision and the action and path that they need to take themselves. Yeah, I, look, I think it's a great connection in those situations. Also, if you're in a workplace and you're the boss and someone's stealing money from the till, well, that's straight to um, some pretty severe responses, mm. right? So you do have to have a scale of consequence and so, I think we're clever as parents to, to set that up. I think also you can sit back and debrief. If you haven't overreacted or if a kid comes out with something, you find out from something, I would always encourage a parent, don't overreact. If you overreact, that kid will go, they'll shut down. They won't go to you. So, if you can pause, go even if you go, mate, I don't know what to do with this, darling. I don't know what to do with this situation, but I need to think and I need to consider and I'll get back to you, at least we can come then and we can have a discussion. Tell me about this. Tell me more about that. And I can 
learn what's going on. I would say also for parents that if your kid is continually following the same pattern, they're not doing what they're expecting them to do. It's because they don't see they don't see the need for it. They don't, a hasn't gone to B, hasn't gone to C. Two plus two is not equaling four. They're just not getting the concept yet. And so consider different ways of communication. I was just about to say that and also look at our behavior because maybe we're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So we might need to change yeah. it up a little bit so that the message gets right. through. Yeah. And Dave, we, <laughs> this has absolutely gone on a different track to what I thought we'd be going on. Um, yeah, we started with that Annie. escalated quickly. <laughs> but on the same note, I know when I was interviewing you boys, I had a long, hard think about what do I think the audience might ask if they were sitting here in my position with so much expertise and knowledge and experience, like what you've seen, what you've been through personally and professionally. You know, when we think about our kids partying safely, as let's let's jump a few years here to like the 18-year-olds to the 23-year-olds and or even a bit earlier, say 16 to 22-year-olds, how do we as parents, what are some of the foundations or the building blocks that we should be thinking about around safe partying that we haven't already spoken about with Andy? I think it's having the chat. I would encourage parents to have the chat early. Hey, these things are going to happen. And it could be interesting. Like you might be going, when are they going to be introduced to porn? And some people think it's okay. But like, even if you're thinking as a parent, I don't know what to do when they're going to, when they're going to be introduced to porn or when they're going to be offered alcohol when I'm not around or when they're going to be offered drugs. And so actually having the discussion about how to handle those situations. So it means you need to be upskilled and learn how to actually coach your young person through those situations. So it's, it's amazing. I've, I've coached my teenage men through how to handle the situation when porn gets introduced. Hey, we're going to watch this or, hey, we're going to do this. And I said, look, if you're one-on-one with someone, all you have to go is, nah, I'm not into that, and then go, let's do something else. Let's let's uh, let's play the PlayStation. Let's throw the footy. Let's – what are we going to do? Let's go for a swim. Let's play ping pong. And, and often the endorphin rush of doing something physical – is a way better endorphin rush than going down the porn and masturbation route if you're going, no, I don't want that. That is actually a really good thing to skill your kids with, what do I do in that situation? Do this instead. Uh, Do this instead. Do this instead. Let's talk through the different options of doing something physical. Even if you're doing it in a crowd and then there's going to – like if there's a bunch of lads or whatever – and there's always going to be someone who goes, hey, let's watch this porn, whatever. Um, Be the person that – you don't have to say, no, that's wrong. I don't want to line my kid up to become the into an argument or to become the the target of someone. Uh, you're a goody two shoes. Just go. Nah, I'm not into that. Who wants to play footy? And I've always said, you watch how many the rest of the gang will be like. Oh no, nah, yeah, I want to go and play footy as well because someone actually took the initiative. So it's been the experience for me to actually have the pre-event discussions about pre-event decisions in those situations. So I tell my kids if they're at a party and they don't want to drink or they don't want to drink too much, have any kind of drink in the hand. So if I've got the drink in my hand, obviously I've got my phone in my hand right now, but if that was a drink and someone says, um, and I don't want to drink too much or I don't want to drink any alcohol and I've got a can of Coke right there, someone goes, oh, do you want a drink? No, I've already got one. No, come and have some alcohol, mate. I'm drinking a Coke. I don't want a beer. Like it just all you have to do is go, I'm having a drink. What's your problem, mate? So I'm not talking about alcohol and the temptations or how far do I want to go. I'm not telling my, my kids not having the discussion in public or with the peer pressure. Mate, I'm having a drink. Don't be an idiot. So it's actually having a drink. And it could be a bottle of water. It could be if you want to have a couple, just have one beer. Just lock it in and just go, nah, I'm good. 
And then so then what to do then if if drugs are offered? It'd be pretty similar to what I said back with the, the one about porn, just going, nah, I'm not into that. Hey, let's do this instead. And amazing how not only is that person skilled to be able to handle it themselves, but other people will follow suit. Thinking through what happens at parties, what happens in situations and giving them an answer. Mate, does this sound like something you could do? They're the discussions I have. Or what else could we try here? You know, I say to my girls, if it's going to be, I mean, they're very young, but if there's going to be drugs there, you can be like, hey, why don't I be the safe person? If you are in a situation that you can't get out of, giving them ideas, I say, the toilet is the best one for females. Just be like, I need to go to the loo and that's when you can send the safe word to mom or have take a moment to think about what else you could try in that scenario. I love, Dave, when you say straight up, give another option, give a way out, then that situation doesn't get bigger in the time that you're taking the time to think about it. You know, you could try that. Let's go play footy if it doesn't work. I'm just going to duck to the loo. I'll be back. Go to the loo. Take a moment and think, what am I going to do here? And yeah, 100%. We have that angle of how do you escape as well? If you if that's not working well, escape and then send the, the safe word. So there's that whole thought of how they can escape and then find a place to go and then send the safe word. The other one, which has been really important for us because my wife and I have strong faith and you know, we're pastors, we're professional Christians as well. So therefore, I've got my kids who are trying to work out, is it their faith? And so, what we've done in those conversations is to make sure that they've got an out, which is not, hey, I'm the Christian, tease me right now for being the Christian. Like, so, work out a way that gets around what's the awkward thing. I wasn't the Christian growing up. My issues were in regards to I was I came from the poor family and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And so, it's working out how to actually have some kind of um, alternative activity or response which doesn't make them the target of someone's derision along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And this is so valuable, but this stuff takes time. So what we're talking about here isn't a conversation that you can have on the run as you're driving to the party. Like pick your moments and I always say try and have it outside of the event. So, you know, if you can be having them, if the events happen and you're debriefing and unpacking it, then this conversation might happen there but it will happen again later or you have them early, have them fast, have them early and start the conversations because going in and saying to your child, what are you going to do, you know, if X happens, if there's drugs at this party and you haven't been having these conversations prior about anything, the kids are just going to be like, mom, I'm not talking to you about that. You know, let's shut this conversation down. Yeah, I think from a, from a frog's angle, we've got a hotline that's open all the time. So, people can call if you're near any of the capital cities or a lot of the regional cities. We actually have red frogs around that can come. If you were to contact red frogs and go, we're having a party, who can come? They would love to. And there's a couple of things that red frogs do. We are just an adult presence. It's harder to get away with stupid stuff, illegal stuff, like the long-term damaging stuff when you've got some adults who are not on any side substances and so you might go well we don't have froggies we'll just work out a place to have you know sit some parents over there we're having a having a barbie obviously not drinking too much and just being an adult presence i think access what froggies will do at parties is that we will offer hydration station and it's easily accessible so we do cups and we do big flasks of water, like a massive flask of water. And we'll do Zupa Dupas and we'll do uh, donuts and we do fairy bread. So, it's just, it just works. We'll also come if we can cook pancakes, just get something in their belly. So, in those situations, how can you actually manage around 
so the kids can have a, a good time. Uh, but they're not going to do the things, hopefully, that are going to be long-term damaging. Yeah, and let's talk about frogs because we'll kind of bring it back to that. I want to chat about, so when you say you're having a party and people can call up, where do they call? So we have a, a national frog hotline number and it's on the back of my shirt right now. Here's what I'm going to tell everyone. I'm, t- I'm not going to take my shirt off. The dad bod, the post-COVID dad bod is on. It's my, my, I'm planned to get that off. I'm certainly not going to expose. Um, so, But you definitely go to the website, redfrogs.com.au. And so A, there'll be the hotline number and then B, you can ask any questions. There's a lot of education for people on how to handle situations. Parent forums. Yes. And there's like questions like, what do I do if my kids don't want to talk about it? If it made me like the things that I took mum made me feel really good. What are the conversations you can have your child if they say that? If they say, I just wanted to try it. Like there's these really great questions and then some ideas on how to have the conversation. So absolutely, we'll pop that in the show notes and people can jump on and check that out. I would also, there's a great friend of mine, Michelle Mitchell, and you'll find that she appears at least annually on all of the the big free-to-air TV. She's a parenting expert. So, go to michellemitchell.org. Her resources on everything is remarkable. Dealing with the internet, I did a deep dive into some of her stuff recently. So, so helpful. So, so helpful. So, there's so many different, there's, there's a lots of really good resources out there. So, go to redfrogs.com.au, go to michellemitchell.org. These are absolutely brilliant resources there for all parents. Like Dave said, you, we have to invest. We have to take the time to learn about this stuff. You know, it has changed so much since we were in that situation. Everything looks different. The landscape's different. So, we need to skill ourselves up so we can go in and have these conversations with some information behind us and some education behind us. And Dave, any other any other good little like tips or hacks, like even thinking back to the original beginning part of this conversation with Andy around schoolies week? Yes. Look, two things. I would say if your kids are going to schoolies, send them to where the red frogs are. You can be guaranteed they've got a friend in need. There is a lot of education on the website, a lot of things that Andy said were great. So, make sure you're skilled up for easy tips about food and water. But if the froggers are there, you've got someone at a moment's notice because it's not just what happens in amongst that bunch of kids. Every location around Australia, it's not just schoolies, but you've got to watch out for the toolies. And then if they're really, really old, we call them droolies. So, <laughs> but they'll come in and they're looking to make a quick buck or a fight. And stuff happens when you get kids, throwing a lot of kids and throwing a lot of substance and a week and who knows what happens. They can call the red frogs for absolutely anything. So, I would say go to where the red frogs are. If you're going to do schoolies, go to where the red frogs are. Um, second thing is we do education seminars in schools and the more schools that get the education, the better the outcomes for the kids. I was going to ask you that very thing because I was like, I would love for you to be in the schools talking to my children. So, you know, covering off all things around safe partying, is that kind of the education you do? Yeah, 100%. We do do a lot of seminars, but our most popular one is the party safe and how to survive schoolies. And so, it's it's so well presented. It's been a long time since I've personally done one of those. That's why it's so well presented now, Dave. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So much much better. So much better. It's just been on the app ever since they got me out. Yeah, so the party safe seminars are great. We'll talk about things like hey, look, how not to lose your bond, right? Here's another thing, how not to turn your parents into grandparents over school this week. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, how do 
people because there will be teachers, principals, parents, like teachers and principals, obviously they can reach out. But if a parent's like, yes, I want you in my school with my kids, what can the parents do? Well, same again, you go to redfrogs.com.au and there are links to be able to you can contact us. There's spots there that we can do the education. I know out of, out of my church, we're the home of the Red Frog in Newcastle and we cover all of the schools from Newcastle, Central Coast and then up the North Coast and then out up, yeah, up, up the valley. And sometimes we've done them right out west as well. So very easy to be able to do that. We've got teams that are trained. They're brilliant. The content is awesome. And it helps the kids then learn how to party safe. And they feel a whole lot more connected to the Red Frogs when they go to schoolies as well. So there's a lot of help on it. Yeah, fantastic. And Dave, is there anything that I haven't asked you? We have we have talked about so much and covered so much. I was actually thinking <laughs> three quarters of the way through the podcast. How am I ever going to name this episode was my thought. (laughs) At one point I was like, hmm, we have covered a lot. But out of everything that we've spoken about, what is there a message there for the audience or something you want to say to everyone that's still listening? Thanks, guys. Look, I just just want to encourage you, Ali, like finding a title for this podcast could be a challenge that changes you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Do you like what I did just then? (laughs) Got it in. Look, I would, I would suggest uh, for me, I had a great experience with faith. I had a transformative experience with faith. It informs so much and it's, it's, for me, it's Christianity. For me, it's the community of faith. For me, it's the people that actually lived it. But I'm, I, there's a lot of people who haven't had a great experience with faith or there's people who've had no experience with faith. If you are at all inquisitive, if I can assist, if I can help, please reach out. And the easiest way to reach out would be just go to my socials on Instagram. I'm Dave Connett. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, E-T-T. And then on Facebook, I'm David Connett. Couldn't get Dave Connett because I got hacked and tried to start again. Anyway, but I'd love to, love to. Uh, however I can help, you can also reach out to goodlifechurch.com.au. You don't have to be near one of my church campuses to be helped. I would just love to serve. I'd love to help. I'd love to answer questions. That's so good because I lost my faith a long time ago for for a number of reasons and, you know, those that have been listening to the podcast has heard a bit of my background but, like, just meeting both of you boys today, I can honestly say I was like, I don't know that I would have lost it if I had people like you in my corner and in my life. Serious, I mean that. Like, you guys just bring a whole new level of energy and passion and just like liveliness, to be honest. That's the thing that I'm thinking of with both you boys. Like you, you're freaking real and you're lively. Like, and that that's invaluable. And so I I absolutely encourage everyone to reach out as well because faith is something that you can dip in and out of. It doesn't have to be this one trajectory. And so if you have stepped away from it and you want to step back into it or you do have questions, reach out to Dave. Let's wrap this baby up. Everyone's still thank with you. us? <laughs> so- of course they are. Of course. Uh, thank you so much, Dave. Thank you so much for coming on. Especially, can we just remind the audience that you guys are in the middle of schoolies, are in the middle of doing late nights, hundreds thousands of kids and you've given up your time to come on to have this conversation so thank you so much my pleasure thank you so much for having us I hope you enjoyed that one. I was really surprised when I met the boys by their humor. I definitely didn't think I would laugh as much as I did. I can only imagine the lives that they are saving when they walk the streets not just lives but the reduction in crime and assaults 
You can tell that Dave and I ended up discussing parenting because we are both so passionate about it. It wasn't in the brief that I sent the boys, but I do think there was a lot of value tips, strategies, and hacks that Dave recommends. I personally wrote down the quote, it's better back at mum and dad's house. And that's the environment I will inspire to create in my four walls at home with my children. If you're interested in finding out more about red frogs, things like how to get them to come and talk at the school that your children attend, perhaps you want to know more about their volunteering or how you can help them out, jump on the website that's in the show notes. I'm really looking forward to seeing all of you that have booked into our free planning session at 8.30 today. I'll also pop that link in the show notes. You can still jump on and book your spot. And don't forget to jump on Challenges That Change Us in the Facebook group to join our community, to be a part of the bigger, wider Challenges That Change Us family. Otherwise, I will see you all next week for our second episode of 2023. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.